Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow. We have the numbers. The long wait is over. The 2020 NFL Draft had massive buildup for Dolphins fans, and then the team proceeded to let us twist in the wind by refusing to release the numbers of the rookie class because you have to look good to play good. It's very simple. It's been a very stressful two weeks. But stress is over because we have the numbers that the rookies are going to wear in 2020, or at least the numbers that the, the rookies are scheduled to wear. And we don't need to panic. Welcome to Locked on Dolphins, brought to you by Bilt Bar. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, USA Today's managing editor of DolphinsWire.com, lifelong Dolphins fan, senior NFL draft analyst at TheDraftNetwork.com, and your pilot for today's navigation of the rookie class and their numbers and why we should be excited that two is wearing number one, which is the breaking news off the top. Also did a quick uh, synopsis or study of the Miami Dolphins defensive line group and what the trends of the Dolphins' transactions over the course of the Brian Flores-Chris Greer era tell us about what criteria we can use to predictively start to sniff out who is a quote-unquote Miami Dolphins defensive line. Because I would expect you're going to continue to see this team invest. It's the engine that makes the defense go, right? The, the secondary is really matchup specific. But the defensive line is where you set the tone. And Brian Flores wants to win the trenches. So we have that to look forward to. And then Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers stopped by to talk about the 49ers and the Dolphins. And you know, they, these teams will play each other this season. And uh, we'll find out when they play the 49ers tomorrow night during the schedule reveal. So Brian was very gracious, 10 minutes of his time talking about getting to know the 49ers a little bit and how the Dolphins, their rebuild can mirror the San Francisco 49ers who went from uh, really struggling in 2017 and 2018 to all of a sudden playing in Super Bowl. So that's what we have to look forward to today. Want to start first and foremost with the rookie numbers because, of course, it, as I said, you look good to play good. So, uh, the rookie class, including the undrafted free agents, here's what we got to work with thus far. And don't panic when you hear Noah Igbahagani's number, please. Tongo Vailoa, number one. Malcolm Perry, number 10. Noah Igbahagani. Number 46, like I said, don't panic. Jason Strobridge, number 58. Solomon Kindly, number 66. Robert Hunt, number 68. Austin Jackson, number 73. Benito Jones, number 95. Curtis Weaver, number 96. Raekwon Davis, number 98. We're okay. Okay, you know, Noah Igbahagany, that was the first knee-jerk reaction everybody has is, wow, rip, pour one out for Noah Igbahagany. No good corners ever wore number 46. Noah's not going to wear number 46. Right now, the Dolphins have a 90-man roster. Igbahagany's not going to come in as the 30th overall pick and say, oh, yeah, let me throw you 50 grand to buy your number. This team is going to cut down 
Igbahogany is probably going to wear a low 30s or a high 20s. So I know that that's kind of the shock and awe. And, and, and numbers football Twitter is funny. And I'm guilty of it too. I do prescribe you have to look good to play good. And 46 doesn't look good on, on a corner. But I would be stunned if Igbahogany keeps that number after the roster cutdowns. But let's talk about Tua. Number one. First time in the Miami Dolphins franchise history that a quarterback is going to be scheduled to wear the number one. It's never happened. You think about Kyler Murray last year's number one overall pick. He wore number one. Cam Newton wore number one. For the Dolphins, it's been all kickers and punters. They get Jamal Davis wore it in a preseason game like one time. We had Wes Farnsworth wear it for like a game. But other than that, this has been kickers and punters. Cody Parkey. Gary Upremian. These are the these are the names of the guys who have worn Tony Franklin, Matt Turk. Those are the four guys who in the regular season in the entire Miami Dolphins history of their organization have worn the number one. Tool will be the first positional player in a regular season game to wear the number. Can't imagine he's going to change. They're not unretiring 13 for Dan Marino. And the fact that we even had a conversation of, should we unretire Dan Marino's jersey number so that Tua can wear it is asinine. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. That's why I didn't talk about it a lot. I didn't write about it for USA Today. I refused to acknowledge that that was actual statement and question that people had. No, you don't require unretire Dan Marino's number. But this is like the last hurdle that we had to clear to kind of put the 2020 draft finally to bed as far as the unknown, right? Everything we do from here on out, spend some time over the course of the weekend looking at Curtis Weaver's tape, trying to figure out where I like him best in Miami's defense. That kind of stuff we have plenty to dig into. But like we know the numbers. Everybody, if you want your two jerseys, it's going to be number one. I would expect two is going to be a monster sell for the Dolphins. When Ask yourself this question. When is the last time the Dolphins genuinely had a national star on their team? Because that's what Tua is. And that's Tua is the Dolphins' answer to complacency about their organization. I don't think he'll be a distraction. I don't think there'll be bad press here. But as far as shows go in a commercial break when it's time to talk about the Dolphins or when it's the fastest 60 seconds in football and all in the the build up to to Sunday night football and they preview all of the day's action and you get like really cool highlights and then it's in the also played games it's like oh yeah the Dolphins won today by a score of 13 to 6 and you don't get a clip and they don't talk about it at all. Tua is the guy who is going to, at least until we know if this works or doesn't work, he's the guy who is going to be the draw for Miami, the star power for Miami. And his personality fits it really well because he's super humble. He's not loud. He's not really brash. But he's confident. And he he's a magnet for attention and positive energy. So... 
I would expect from that perspective, tick or jersey sales, you know, and and depending on what the Dolphins are able to do with ticket sales with, with COVID nineteen and uh, attendance at home games, two is going to be a game changer for this organization in more ways than just waiting to see him get on the field. You know, the enthusiasm that this is going to bring is undeniable, and it's gonna it's it's going to leave a lasting impression. But if you want to leave a lasting impression on Mother's Day, I got a little tip for you. Your mom will be able to travel in her mind to exotic India, sample the food, and laugh at the perils of raising a teenager in the 1950s India setting through a new book of fiction titled The Henna Artist. And by the way, it's Reese Witherspoon's book club's pick for the month of May. And then anytime in May, post a picture of you or your mom holding the ebook or book on Instagram or Facebook. And tag the author at the Alkayoshi, and a donation of four meals per post, up to ten thousand meals, will be going towards feeding America. So, guys and girls, buy the Henna Artist today at your favorite bookseller, including Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Walmart, Costco, and Target, and make Mom the ultimate winner in your family, and leave a lasting impression this Mother's Day. You guys had your fill of number talk. Let's talk X's and O's. Let's specifically talk about the defensive line because I, at my core, I love points, I love fantasy football, but I also love defensive play. I love good defensive play. And that's what the Dolphins are trying to construct with their roster. And we are now at a point, after 16 months of the Brian Flores, Chris Greer era, of being able to make some judgments and decisions on what qualifies as a quote-unquote Miami Dolphins defensive lineman. They've added you know, some, some hybrid linebackers like Vince Beagle and Andrew Van Ginkle, and those guys, you know, I'm not ignoring those guys, but when I talk about the defensive linemen, I'm talking about the Christian Wilkins, the Raquan Davis, the Emmanuel Agba, Shaq Lawson, and then the two guys they drafted in the fifth round this year, Jason Strobridge and, and Curtis Weaver. Those are the prominent names, not waiver wire additions, not hybrid linebackers like Kyle Van Noy would, would be technically, you know, even though he's going to rush off the edge and, and you know, be a pressure player in the middle, he's a linebacker. Wilkins, Davis, Strobridge, Weaver, Agba, Lawson. Four through the draft, two in free agency. Prominent names that the Dolphins have added to their defensive line mix. What can we learn about Miami through this group? Typically, when you hear about a New England Patriots-style defensive lineman, and by proxy, Brian Flores, a, a Dolphins defensive lineman, the assumption has been made that, that arm length is like super important. You know, heavy hands, long arms. I've talked about it on the show. But now that we have a, a six-player sample size, which is going to be a large portion of the Miami Dolphins defensive line, probably half to 60% of the Dolphins defensive linemen. Length doesn't necessarily seem to be a disqualifier so long as you meet basic thresholds. Shaq Lawson, for example, came in 32 and three quarter inch arms when he passed through the NFL combine a few years back. Curtis Weaver, same thing, you know, not super long. On the other hand, other side of the coin, you got Emmanuel Agba. Emmanuel Agba has 35 and a half inch arms. Like that is, if you were going to say, you know, typical Patriots defensive end model, 
Agba's that kind of player. But as you look through, Christian Wilkins didn't have super length. Raekwon Davis almost had 34 inches. But it's not as though all of these guys across the board, you have to have 34 inches or else you're not going to qualify to play on our defensive line. Which is good to know, right? Because it's you want to be able to put filters on players in the pre-draft process and, and even in pro scouting too, to be able to understand who are the guys that qualify, who are the guys that check the boxes for what this team wants so we can further narrow our scope and focus. We did that this year with offensive tackles and quarterbacks trying to ascertain who we did this with the edge group too. Who are the guys that are going to check all the boxes for the Dolphins? So interestingly enough, if offensive tackle was not a pressing need for the Dolphins, I would have been really interested to see if they would have opted to draft Caleb on chase on at 18. If they didn't come out swinging real hard and add Agba and Van Noy and Shaq Lawson, like if you didn't add Van Noy, Chason's not a guy with 34-inch arms, but he's 32 and three quarters. Could have potentially been a qualifier. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, length is not a make-or-break trait that you can look at on a piece of paper and eliminate potential Miami Dolphins selections. We do know from a play-style perspective, heavy hands is absolutely a qualifier. Wilkins has heavy hands. Raekwon Davis has heavy hands. Strobridge has heavy hands for a defensive end. Agba and Lawson, these dudes are bullies up front. From a play style perspective, you can't look on a piece of paper and be able to point that out, but you can watch their style of play and know that's a Miami Dolphins trait. Also a trait, defensive ends, they like them dense. The four defensive ends between Strobridge, Weaver, Agba and Lawson, the four defensive ends that the Dolphins added this offseason, their average weight is 270.5 pounds. You think about it in the offensive side of the ball. The average size of offensive linemen that the Dolphins added this offseason is like 326 pounds. Heavy, dense players. They are looking for density in general as well on the defensive side. Those four guys averaging 270.5 pounds. Raekwon Davis and Christian Wilkins averaged 313. Don't look for this team to add a lot of 290-pound defensive three techniques. They want guys that can collapse the pocket. And what's really interesting is you pair that density with some of the explosiveness in straight-line situations, not in a long-speed setting, not in a 40-yard dash, but jumps. Jumps are a really good measure of short-area twitch and explosiveness, which is much more important anyway if we're being honest, for defensive linemen versus what you get in a 40-yard dash setting. A 10-yard split has some, some merit, especially for guys who are playing off the edge, where you have to close down that space and, and, and stress those angles very quickly. Uh, but if you looked at the four guys at defensive end, Agba, Lawson, Strobridge, and Weaver, and then Wilkins and Davis at defensive tackles, their standing broad jumps at the NFL Combine are all above the 55th percentile. And Curtis Weaver was the 57th percentile, and everybody else was 60th percentile or better. So above average, short area explosiveness in the form of a jump test, standing broad jump where you stand on the line and you jump forward as far as you can. Above 60 percentile seems to be desired area. And some of these guys are like in the 80th percentile. 
explosive, dense, heavy-handed football players. Of course, the football IQ side of it is really impressive and really important. And uh, a popular measure for defensive ends specifically is the three-cone drill. You know, how much can you bend off the edge and so on and so forth. Dolphins, I haven't run the numbers on the hybrid linebackers yet, and maybe Curtis Weaver gets put into that group when this is all said and done. But only two of the six players that the Dolphins have added at defensive end and defensive tackle log three cone drills that are above the 50th percentile. They don't care so much about the lateral quickness and the ability to bend and reduce surface and drop the shoulder and run the outside track. It's not how this roster is being constructed. They want you to line up in your stance across from another human being, and they want you to use your explosiveness in your heavy hands to win at first contact and drive that person's ass directly back into the lap of the quarterback. Physically overwhelming the opposition. That is the objective. It's the same thing on the offensive side of the ball. We've talked about building an Alabama-style offense. Run downhill, gap power, move defenders against their will, create gaps and running, and then your ball carriers, a guy like Jordan Howard, is going to stick his face in your numbers and run through you. That's the attitude. And when you're a team that's playing in South Florida with this South Florida heat and humidity and the home field advantage that they had, Don Shula passed away on Monday. Think about what made Don Shula's 70s dynasty so great. They were better conditioned than everybody, they were more physical than everybody, and they were committed to pushing you around and outlasting you into football games. It's a good home field advantage, and the league has kind of flown across or opposite with their trends. They have seen a lot of teams that have adopted passing the football all over the field and and the rules that make it easier to space it out and and get defensive pass interferences. But Miami, at some point when everybody zigs, the guy who zags is going to win because he's going to present a new set of challenges. And if the Dolphins are going to beat the tar out of you up front on both sides of the ball, they have the opportunity to take advantage of 220-pound linebackers because teams are trying to cover guys in space. And if you're willing to play that brand of football, you've set yourself up for success. And that is reading in between the lines, knowing what we know about the offensive line, seeing what qualities and traits the Dolphins have coveted on the defensive line. Mm-mm. I'm ready. I am ready to strap on the pads and watch these dudes get after it because Flores, you know with the buy-in that he had from that roster last year, he's going to have guys committed to his process. And his process, is it's going to be hard. They're going to train hard. They're going to condition hard. They're in South Florida. Summertime, it's already been hot there for a while. This is going to be a pretty interesting science experiment to see come together for the Dolphins. Will it gel right away? That remains to be seen. There's challenges for everybody across the league right now with accessibility. But this is the blueprint, and it's a different blueprint than what we've seen the Dolphins try before. And they have a trigger man on the offensive side that has you optimistic because that's what he did in college. And now defensively committed to stout play up front. 
team identity, a cohesive identity across the entire roster, not, oh, let's add a star player here because he's a star player, and then not be able to make the most of Indominic and Sue, and all of a sudden we've watered down his pass rush ability despite the fact that we're paying him all this money, and he's getting five sacks a year, and now we got to bite the bullet and get rid of Indominic and Sue. No, there's a team identity and there's depth. We should be excited about that. You should also be excited about the opportunity that we have for you on Locked On Dolphins to get into the action with Built Bar. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. And listen, I am—I have a degree in exercise science from Penn State, human kinetics, movement sciences. Um, so I, I like to stay fit. I like to stay active, even in in times in which you know social distancing and you know, the, the gym's not being open and whatnot. I'm still staying active. And as a meal replacement, I'd love to grab a good protein bar. And Built Bar sent me a box of these things, and holy cow, I am not kidding. They have like seven times fewer carbs and sugar than a regular protein bar. They've still got 15 grams of protein in them. They taste like candy bars. You know, real chocolate. Uh, they got fruit flavors, dessert flavors, chocolate flavors, you name it. They're super light, but they're also satisfying. You feel full after you've had one. They are delicious, and I'm not just saying it, I mean it. So we have promo code locked on. Go to builtbar.com, order yourself a box, and get $10 off with the promo code locked on. That's promo code locked on to get $10 off your first order at builtbar.com. Let's switch gears here and, and let's get Brian Peacock into the action here on Locked On Dolphins. Divisional crossovers looking ahead to some of the teams that are going to be on the Dolphins schedule this year. And tomorrow we're going to find out exactly when we're playing who. But in the meantime, uh, Brian, welcome to Locked on Dolphins. Really appreciate you carving out some time. Uh, how are things going out west? And uh, how did how has the reaction been to San Francisco's NFL draft class? Because this has been such a build, big buildup for Miami, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, with so many picks in this year's draft and the weight that it carries. Interested to hear your perspective on how a team that was very close to winning it all last year, what this draft did for them. Yeah, it's been a really cool draft season, I think, for both Dolphins and 49ers fans for very different reasons. And for the Niners to be able to pull out an extra first round pick made this spring a little bit more fun in quarantine. And I think a lot of fans uh, went back to the tape a little bit more and went to uh, went to places like thedraftnetwork.com to go ah, deeper in some of these uh, draft valuations for players at pick 13, which for a long time we didn't think we had that pick in the middle of round one. But most 49ers fans are pretty ecstatic about the way things went, and it's it's hard not to be excited. If, if you would have told me the day before the draft that the Niners were going to come out of it with Kinlaw, Brandon Ayuk, and Trent Williams with the resources that they had, I would have been blown away because look, we thought Trent Williams was going to cost a first round draft pick plus a $20 million contract. And neither one of those things came to fruition and they're not going to get a new deal done with him yet. He's betting on himself, the 49ers and, and Trent Williams after the trade himself said that, um, you know, he likes that the 49ers have some skin in the game and they've got that future third rounder out there. So it benefits both the team and the player. If Williams plays well, earns the next contract with the 49ers since they use that future pick to get him. And that means that Trent Williams can eventually get his payday. But I think it was pretty clear 
that in the end, Trent Williams wanted to get out of Washington, obviously, and the 49ers were probably the best destination for him to go. So in the end, he wanted to make sure he did what he had to do to make sure that would happen, and he finally got away. And it's funny listening to Ron Rivera after the, dra- uh, after the draft and after that trade went down say that the, the, the Redskins got an offer for a first-round pick, and Bruce Allen turned it down for some reason last year. So uh, I don't really know what goes on in that building in Washington. But in the end, the 49ers made out like bandits and have to be very happy that they were able to free Trent Williams and they couldn't have found a better replacement for the, in my opinion, future hall of famer in Joe Staley. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit about where San Francisco is as a team, because the dolphins fans were very inquisitive in the buildup to the draft about do we consider bringing in Trent Williams or, and, and is he worth, you know, what kind of pick would you be willing to give up? And I think you look at San Francisco as a team, they're a good source of inspiration for the dolphins as far as, you know, how they built their team and how they were very methodical about building up their roster and where they are now and how Miami with the draft assets that they have, uh, have the potential to build something similar if they, they hit on their picks, but San Francisco with their team and, and the life cycle that they're in, I talk about life cycles of teams and Miami's still in their infancy and San Francisco's at an exciting juncture because they're young in so many spots, but they are in a win now mentality uh, and they have a quarterback who they've already paid. So that, that makes San Francisco a, a pretty rare blend of qualities with a young roster, a quarterback who, you know, if they choose, they might not want to continue to stick with him long-term. They do have some flexibility coming up as far as getting out of that contract how did what is the gauge for San Francisco fans about how the last few years have played out? Has it gone according to plan? And are you or is there excitement about Jimmy Garoppolo? Or is this something that, you know, the big breakout of 2019 was a bit of a surprise considering where this team was starting from? Yeah, I think it's a bit of a surprise. And Kyle Shanahan had even talked about this a little bit, how they didn't expect to be in a mode where they were going for it so soon when they had to make the trade for Emmanuel Sanders last year. But Kyle Shanahan's like, look, we need this wide receiver. We're 8-0 right now. We have to go for this now. And they did, and it turned out great. And, you know, in a vacuum, you don't want to really trade away future picks for a rental player, but the 49ers got to a Super Bowl doing it. So it, everything was gravy there, but they completely tore this thing down in 2017. So it was a rebuild and it happened fast. And I think the reason everybody is so excited about Jimmy Garoppolo is because how bad the team is when he's not playing. And we saw it in 2017. This was a team, they literally could not win a football game. It was the worst team in the NFL in 2017. They trade for Jimmy Garoppolo in October. And all of a sudden, after a few weeks, he wins five straight games. I've never seen a situation where it was more obvious where you could drop a quarterback in and how much different he made not only the offense, but the defensive side of the ball because they weren't on the field as much. So it was pretty amazing to see the difference of the 49ers when Garoppolo's in there and when he's not. And I know some people would like a little bit more from Garoppolo, but at the same time, we've still only seen him starting in the NFL for one full season and he took his team to the Super Bowl. So I think there's actually even more there with Jimmy Garoppolo and Kyle Shanahan because he gets those reps. And I don't know if it'll be to the extent of what we saw with year two under Matt, uh, under the Atlanta Falcons with Kyle Shanahan and Matt Ryan's leap in his second year, full year as a starter under Kyle Shanahan. Maybe we'll see a nice little bump, but I don't think we'll see it to that degree. But I, I would expect 
Jimmy Garoppolo is actually even better next year. So I think most people in-house are really excited about Jimmy Garoppolo and knowing that he's not done because he still never got a full season's reps in 2017 or 2018 with Kyle Shanahan and then came off an ACL last year. So he's got a full healthy offseason this year and hopefully they get a full training camp and then they can implement some more things. And Kyle Shanahan has talked about how he's excited to add more to Jimmy Garoppolo's plate. So I, I expect Garoppolo to be even better. And when we're talking this time next year, if he did not get better, then I think there's some hard decisions to make. And if he regresses, especially, but they do have some outs in his contract, but I bet they, they do another deal next year at this time. And I expect Garoppolo to get better and they lock him up uh, even further into the future. Brian, I've referenced some parallels as far as how San Francisco's build and journey has started versus where Miami hopes to go. Uh, Another parallel between these two teams, you mentioned how uh, San Francisco was really able to catch fire at the end of the season in 2017, and I believe they did the same thing in 2018, where they found their wins late in the year. And Brian Flores' Dolphins started out 0-9, and then they finished the season 5-4 and in their final nine football games to finish the year at 4-11. Can you talk about what kind of optimism those late-season runs for Kyle Shanahan's football team when they struggled so early, early in Shanahan's career with San Francisco in the season, uh, how that has helped helped carry over into the red hot start that we saw in 2019. Yeah, it, especially in 2017, the excitement going into the 2018 season was palpable. People could not believe that all of a sudden, okay, well, maybe we did everything right. We got this quarterback for only a second round pick. I can't believe it. And the 49ers are ready for prime time. Let's go 2018. And then they weren't quite ready. And Jimmy Garoppolo tears his ACL. And then you see how bad the rest of the team is again and, and how they were non-functional on defense because they didn't have that pass rush. And then late in the year, they started to figure a few things out and developed a backup quarterback. And it turns out Nick Mullins was better than C.J. Beathard. So Mullins was the guy and was at least a little bit fun. And you saw Mullins win some games. But you left 2018 just not quite sure how many pieces away the 49ers were. And to me, the biggest thing was not only getting Jimmy Garoppolo back in there under center, but it was that pass rush on defense. And that defense was non-functional without the edge players. And the 49ers did everything they could in that 2019 offseason to use their highest draft pick. And luckily they had the second pick and that the first team was taking a quarterback so they could get the most ready player I've ever seen coming out of the draft in Nick Bosa, who was literally giving pointers to his veteran teammates as a rookie with hand usage and technique on the sideline during games, which was amazing. So to see him impact the run in the past and then getting D Ford, who only ended up playing 30 something percent of the snaps for the 49ers last year, but he was on the field on third downs and is so impactful and such a good pass rusher when he is healthy and he is in the game. And you saw what that pass rush could do. And that was even with Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner in house. They needed that outside pass rush for that defense to become functional, and it made everybody better on the back end, and it was amazing how much better that unit was, led by that dominating defensive line in 2020. So uh, it was a lot was because of Garoppolo, because of year three in the system with Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala's defense, but I think it was the pass rush on the outside, namely Nick Bosa, that made the biggest difference maybe in 2020. So uh, when it comes to being excited about next year's team, I think there might be some parallels with uh, the 2017 team and the way the the Miami Dolphins are built right now. You get your young quarterback in there, might be another year, but uh, I think they're definitely on to something. And I think some late 
year wins really points to how good a coaching staff is getting his team better throughout the season. Yeah, Dolphins fans, let me tell you, hope you do not see San Francisco on the roster in September because this team is going to start a brand new overhauled offensive line in 2020. We have talked about it at length. And San Francisco's pass rush, if they catch Miami early, is going to create some significant problems in a matchup. That is going to do it for us today on the show. I want to thank Brian Peacock of Locked On 49ers for carving some time out of his day. Uh, if you have any 49ers friends, my best friend from high school is a 49ers fan, and I have most definitely tipped him off on the show because Brian does excellent work. Brian, thank you so much for your time. I hope you enjoy the rest of your offseason. Yeah, you bet. Always a pleasure chatting with you, Kyle.